Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Welcome you to our time of Bible study. Let me move this down a little bit. It's kind of loud. Um, so why are we meeting in the Spurgeon room? Well, I already did it, I think. Uh, one was to fill it up, and then we sort of you know, seek for larger uh, areas. But I think we've about filled it up already. The other is this is Bible study, and wanted something to be a little more conducive to Bible study so you can sit and have some place to write, etc. So we'll have to, we might have to rethink it. But it's good to see you all this morning and to welcome you uh, to the beginning of our study on the book of James. There are folders around that have the lesson in it. If somebody needs a folder, please indicate. We'll let husbands and wives share, and then we can spread the others around. You guys need a folder? Got one? Okay. All right. If you would look for the uh, introduction, the letter of James, an introduction. read this and then um, have a word of prayer as we begin. <clears throat> Many believers start their Christian walk with tender consciences and great zeal. However, over time, many believers tend to grow comfortable and even complacent in their dedication to Christ and pursuit of holiness. When we grow comfortable, we become distracted and in our distraction, the spiritual cancer of incipient declension can spawn and spread unchecked. Like Samson, the presence, power, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit departs, and a believer does not even know it until some crisis shakes him awake and he discovers he is adrift miles out to sea in a leaky vessel. The letter of James should shake believers from their slumber and remind us what salvation and spiritual life are all about. Every morning, as one stands before the mirror to groom, he should hear the words of James 2, excuse me, James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We need some more chairs. That's great. <laughs> Grab some. Thank you. Here's a couple of three chairs we can we can take to the back if we need to. So every time we stand in front of our mirrors to prepare ourselves, maybe it would be good that we could remind ourselves of James 1, 22 and following. Not to be a hearer of the word only, but also to be a doer of the word. Continuing on in our introduction, James is an intensely practical book and contains a higher frequency of imperative verbs. What's an imperative verb? Commands. Command. Now, there are indicative that makes statements of facts, and there are imperatives that gives commands. And so the book of James 
contains a higher frequency, we could say, of commands, of imperative verbs than any other New Testament book. And that's a small book. That's a lot of commands in, in a small book. Vivid metaphors and illustrations like withering grass, a billowing sea, bits in a horse's mouth, a ship's rudder, moth-eaten cloth or clothes, rusty metal, a forest fire, and a pure spring of water make James a very popular, readable, and understandable book. In fact, the style and movement and language of James results in many scholars referring to it as a sermon. If you've ever read any books by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, they were not written to be books. Sermons that he preached, most of them, there are a few exceptions. There are sermons that he preached, somebody took down in shorthand, and then later on they were put into a book form. And in James, you've got that same kind of form. It's not like Romans where you've got well thought out and developed thoughts. Here you have a rapid movement in, in, on thoughts. And that's the reason some people refer to it as a sermon. It's more extemporaneous, if you would, than, than sitting down to write out something very carefully. Um, <clears throat> Moyer observes, as soon as we read through the letter of James, we say to ourselves, this man was a preacher before he was a writer. He addresses his readers as a preacher addresses his heroes, heroes directly, directly, pointedly. And over and again, the warmth of the vital relationship between preacher and congregation is maintained as the words, my brothers and sisters, my beloved, and my beloved brothers and sisters come through the lips straight from the heart. And so that's often how he will address uh, the, the readers of the book. So to you, my beloved brothers and sisters, may the Lord be pleased to direct, direct and apply our study of James, the Proverbs in the New Testament. And if any of us should be in danger of being swept out to sea by the ripcord of incipient declension, may the Lord in mercy awake us from our slumber. Having said that, let's join together in prayer and then we will begin our study in the book of James. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the day, the Lord's day. This is the day you have made. Help us, Lord, to rejoice and be glad in it. Help us, Lord, to actively focus our minds and our hearts upon the great uh, responsibility, the great liberty, the great privilege we have before us in the study of your word and fellowship together and then in corporate worship, receiving of the Lord's Supper. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, bless us. We pray now that you would direct our thoughts in this time of study. Lord, open up this book of James to us. May it be real. And may we look at ourselves through your word, even as we look, behold our own faces in a mirror. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, the, the book of James is identified as a general epistle. What is a general epistle? One not directly addressed or written to any one church. If you start the book of Romans, it's addressed to the believers at Rome, Galatia, to the churches in Galatia, to Corinthians, it's addressed to the church at Corinth, and so on and so forth. But general epistles are... are 
or letters that are written with no real specific church, but just the church in general that, that's in mind as it's being written. So general epistles, unlike the Pauline epistles, are not addressed to a specific audience or church, but to the church in general. Early Christians faced the perennial problem of how to be faithful in a difficult, pagan, polytheistic, adversarial, and sensual environment. They lived, they worshipped, they followed Jesus in a world that seemed, seemed incompatible and even hostile to Christianity. General epistles are very practical books intended to help believers live godly in an ungodly world. Thus, the book of James. The general epistles are, can you name the general epistles? They're all put together in your Bible. They're all put in one section together. You can First and Second Corinthians. Those are those are Pauline epistles. Yeah. Hebrews. Hebrews. Yeah, sometimes First, Hebrews, sometimes second, not. Third John. First, second, third John. Jude. What? Jude. 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 I don't think I heard. First, second Peter. Thank you. First and Second Peter and James. These are our general epistles. Sometimes Hebrews put in there. I tend to put it in there myself, uh, in my own thinking. Uh, some some don't put it in that general epistle category, but I, I, I put it in there. Um, although one of the earliest books of the New Testament to be written, and the date for the writing of James, it's, of course, like any other thing, it's always debated, probably predates the Jerusalem Council. So you're looking at a very early writing for James. In fact, possibly even the first book of the New Testament uh, that was to be written um, somewhere uh, somewhere around uh, A.D. 45 to 47, possibly for the writing of the, of the book of James. Um, so although it's one of the earliest books in the New Testament to be written, James was not fully accepted as part of the canon until the end of the 4th century. So there was debate in the early church about the authoritative nature, authoritative nature, the um, apostolic authority of the book of James. There was question in the early church, and that question came up again during the Reformation. And, of course, one of the people that I'm sure that you've heard uh, about this would be Martin Luther, who considered the book a straw epistle. And uh, he had some controversy with the book of James, mainly because he thought it was at conflict with the biblical teaching, New Testament teaching of justification by faith. That was his main, main uh, issue with the, with the book of James. Um, he placed it, as well as Hebrews, Jude, and Revelation, at the end of the New Testament canonical list. Luther did. But Douglas Moo writes this, and I think this is very important that we, we, we hear this. And if someone ever says to you, well, Martin Luther didn't believe in the book of James, you can have maybe a response to that. Moo writes, while Luther obviously had difficulties with James and came close to giving the letter secondary status, his criticism should not be overdrawn. He did not exclude James from the canon, and it has been estimated cites over half of the verses of James as authoritative in his writings. So, yes, Luther had some question but he cites over half of the verses of James in his writings so that tells you he didn't just dismiss the book okay so let's review the first uh, five questions now on your on your sheet you define do you know what a general epistle is 
Okay, it's just it's a general letter written. It doesn't have a specific audience in mind. Even though John will talk about the elect lady, well, the elect lady speaking about the church. He's not he's not addressing a specific church. Um, and the same is true here in James. Uh, and we've listed the general epistles. You've got those right. So James was not fully. You don't have them. Hebrews, James, first, second Peter. I'm about to say third Peter. First, second, third John. And Jude. Start with Hebrews and go to go to Revelation. You got it. Um, although, uh, the question for although Martin Luther questioned the apostolic uh, authorship of James, his main concern was the theological tension he perceived between James and the New Testament teaching on what justification by faith. Um, Question five. In spite of his concern, Luther did not exclude James from the canon of Scripture, and he cites whether is it A, B, C, or D? C. He cites over 50% of uh, James in his writings. Okay, so let's move on then in our thought. Today, what we want to look at as we start to get into the book of James and try to unpack it a little bit is verse number one. So open your Bibles, James 1. We're going to look at verse one as we think about this probably this week and again next week. <clears throat> and by the way, wherever we are when time expires, I'm just going to put a peg in it. Uh, I'm not trying, I'm not going to try to rush and get through what I've got down here. And if we get through what I've got down here before, I'm just going to stop. So uh, we're just, that's the way we're going to go with this. Okay, James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Okay. What is meant by the term verbal plenary inspiration? Verbal plenary inspiration. This is question seven on your on your study, on your notes. What does verbal plenary inspiration, what does it what does it mean first? Excuse me, it's question six, and then I got verse question seven. So what is question six? What's the answer to question six? What is the meaning of verbal plenary inspiration? Go ahead. It means that the word is true in its words and in its entirety. Okay. So verbal means that it's not the thought that is inspired. It is the actual word itself. Every word in Scripture. Plenary means all. Every word of the Bible and inspired means God breathed. So verbal plenary inspiration means that every word of the Bible is given to us by God. Therefore, it's important. It's not just thought. Like in some translations, it's just thought. Here it's every word. And then plenary means all of the Bible. It means that one verse is just as important as another verse. Inspiration, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So what impact does that have when we begin to consider the author of the book of James. I'm, speak up. God, okay. util, God utilized James to write these things. He did? Rather than, like you said, it was did, did not come from the author himself. Okay, that, that is, that is in, indeed true. But what I'm after here is if we're questioning who the author of the book is, how does verbal plenary inspiration settle that matter for me? God breathed. It don't matter. What does it say in verse 1? 
James. Well, I don't need to go questioning who wrote the book if I believe in verbal, plenary inspiration of the Scripture. James wrote the book. <laughs> that's, that's the impact of verbal, plenary inspiration when you begin to read the Scripture and you go, well, who, who's the author of this book? And people get in all kinds of debates and lose all kinds of sleep. You go, well, it told me. I don't really need to worry over that. James, he is the author. And that's how verbal, plenary inspiration has an impact uh, on, on this. The Chicago Statement in 1978, of, this is on biblical inerrancy, and it reads this, listen carefully. We affirm that the whole of Scripture and all its parts down to the very words of the original were given by divine inspiration. We deny that the inspiration of Scripture can rightly be affirmed on the whole, of the whole without the parts, or even some parts, but not the whole. Now, sometimes people will say, well, the Bible contains the Word of God. No, the Bible is the Word of God. There is a difference there. And this is the, the debate, and this is what's settled in verbal plenary inspiration. So James is the author. Um, Alec Moyer writes, the one thing on which the letter itself insists is that the author was named James. This is as much a part of the inspired testimony of the Word of God as anything else in the letter. It is inadmissible, therefore, to search for an anonymous writer where the author's name has been revealed, and insofar as we have pointers to follow, they point to only one James. Now that last clause is, is important. <clears throat> the fact is stated in verse 1 that James is the writer, and that ends the debate who wrote it. But we do have some issues. James was a very common name in the New Testament. But your last statement said he's the only James noted in the New Testament. Say what now? That last sentence, sentence that you asked us to put a pin on is that there's only one James mentioned in the New Testament. No, there's actually four. Really? Yeah, there's actually four Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. So while I have verbal plenary inspiration, James is the author, and the question is, which James? I have four Jameses. And so I need to try to figure out which James wrote this book. Um, <clears throat> so the assumption is that James who wrote the book was, A, he was well known uh, among the early Christians because he didn't have to say anything else. He just identifies himself as James. Thereby, the assumption is that his audience knows who he is. They know James. Problem is, we live 2,000 years later, and we might not know who this James is unless we think about it a little bit and consider a couple of matters. So the reality is we're reading the book 2,000 years after the fact, and so we need to, to think about this, this James a little bit. Okay, I'm not going to go back over questions six and seven, but do you have any thoughts on, on questions six or seven? Any questions or thoughts? So the inspiration, it gets down to the very tense yes. and mood. Yes. All the little jots and tittles. So you need to know the grammar of Scripture. Yeah, we, we live in a blessed day, though, don't we? We watched the, the movie on Family Night about William Tyndall. And we live in a blessed day that the Bible has been translated into our language. That's a great gift from God. But yes, yes, I'm not denying that. Anything else? Okay. So, 
to Brother Damien's point, the New Testament mentions four Jameses. So which James wrote this? Okay, let's consider these Jameses. In Matthew 4.21, um, Brother Drew, would you read that for us, please? Matthew 4.21. James, the son of Zebedee and the brother of John, who is an early apostle and a martyr, is named. And he's mentioned also in Luke 6 and in Acts 12. But this is one, James. 4.21? Yes, sir. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, his father, mending their nets, and they called them. And turn to Acts chapter 12. Sister, you got that's okay. I got Matthew. Matthew. Would you read Matthew 12, uh, 1 and 2, please? Acts. Sir? Acts. Acts, I'm sorry. I say Matthew, Matthew. Yes. Matthew, would you read Acts 12, 1 and 2, please? Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Okay, this is very, very early. This is even before the writing of James, so that James isn't the author. He's dead, he got killed. He was martyred. Okay, I have another James. He's James, the father of Judas. Um, Brother Ryan, would you please take Luke chapter 6, verse 16. He's the father of Judas, not his chariot. You know, there were two Judases in the 12 apostles. There's Judas's chariot, and there's Judas not his chariot. <laughs> not the son of his chariot. So this is Judas, not the son. Let me get this right. He's the father of, of James, the father of Judas, not his chariot. Let me get it all right in a minute. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay. So, nothing else is known about this, James. That's it. He just kind of fades out. So, we'll probably go, well, he's not really, I mean, he's significant. I'm not trying to say anybody's not significant. But he's probably not the author of the book, because that's it. I mean, that's, that's all. And then there's James, the father. I've already did the father of Judas. Excuse me. I skip one. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. He's an apostle, and he's sometimes called James the Less or James the Younger. And um, he is the brother of Matthew, who is Levi. Uh, Vance, would you take uh, Matthew 4.21, please? Going on from there, I'm saw, sorry, I gave you the wrong one. I, apologize. I keep looking at the wrong places. Do Mark 1540. I'll get my notes and my mind straightened out, maybe. 1540, you said? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. Okay. And it's also mentioned in 214, uh, Mark 214. So this is James the Younger. He's the brother of, of Matthew. Um, he's the son of Alphaeus. This James drops off out of the record too. That's basically all we have about him. He's, nothing else really is mentioned about him. Then there's one other James who's very significant in the Bible. He's definitely a leader in the church of Jerusalem. He's well known. And he is the half-brother of Jesus. And that's usually where we come when we look at the author of the book because of his notoriety. He, he's known when you talk about 
Well, let's go ask James. Well, you know what James is being spoken of is James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, the younger brother of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew 13, um, 55. Cody, if you would take that. And um, Sammy, if you would take Matthew, oh, excuse me, Galatians 1, 19. Go ahead, Cody. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Okay, so we have his brother's name for us and his sister's. Okay, Galatians 1.19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Okay, Paul saying, I didn't see any of the apostles. And, and he's putting, actually, James in the category of an apostle. That word has a, a wide meaning. But he says, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the, the brother. Does it say the brother? The Lord's brother. The Lord's brother, thank you. So that identifies that James for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we have, a, we have another James that's mentioned, and it's probably the same James that we would certainly think this. And that, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 reads, Then he appeared to James. This is the post-resurrected Christ. He appeared to 500. Then he appeared to James. Hmm. That James is known. Again, you don't have to identify who that is. So this James, the half-brother of Jesus, is a, is, is a very prominent man in the uh, Jerusalem church. He's one that Paul pays homage to. He visits. He's one that when there was a question of the Gentiles and the law, that what did James say? And so he, he's a well-known person. So when I read in the book of James, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, this James is, this James is known. This, this most likely is James, the, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who writes this book. I had some other verses here, but I think I'll forgo them. I'll just simply, um, it's, I, think, I think I've summarized it well enough. Okay. So let's go to the title. We have the James identified. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Now let's look at the way he identifies himself. He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever dropped a name to help you get something done? Sure, you have. I know you have. Uh, uh, years ago, uh, I'm gonna drop a name. Year, years ago, <laughs> there was a guest here from uh, Wales, England. Uh, he wanted to see the first pres uh, Presbyterian church in Savannah. It's a very historical uh, building, edifice, and all. And so, <clears throat> I was with this gentleman. So I went in to see about us going in, and the, the doors were shut and locked during the week. And so I went into, the, the pastor was gone, but the uh, associate pastor was there. So I talked to him, and I said, um, I'm here with Ian Murray, and we'd like to go in and view the church. And if you don't know the name Ian Murray, that's okay, but I knew he would. But, and so immediately it was like, okay, here's the red carpet. Welcome up. So I dropped his name to get in, and I bet you've done the same thing. Well, you were trying to get Ian in, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was it yourself. was true. <laughs> it was true. Um, 
So when James writes this book and he starts off, why didn't he say James, brother of Jesus Christ? I mean, man, what clout would that give it? Whoa. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He addresses himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word servant is from the Greek doulos, which means slave. Doulos. I am a slave. Now the word servant or slave should be used by any Christian in any place in any time. We would, we could, we should identify ourselves that way. I am a servant. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He's Lord. I'm his follower. Therefore, every Christian should self-identify using that term. And they do. I mean, you find that term used in that, that very general way. But servant or slave was also used to describe prominent leaders even prophets in the Old Testament. Moses in Joshua chapter 14, verse 7, is identified as the servant of the Lord. Joshua, who follows after Moses in Joshua 24, 29, is identified as the servant of the Lord, as well as David and Abraham and other notable um, leaders in the Old Testament, but particularly prophets. And so the word servant was also a synonym for a prophet of God. And so when I open up James and I see this language and he borrows a lot from the Old Testament, it's a very Hebrew book. And I have right out of the gate this term. And that term takes me right back into the Old Testament because that term is specifically used to identify prophets. And I go, okay. Maybe what he's implying here is that he is a spokesperson for God. He's not just depending on his relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not so much that he's the half-brother of Jesus, but rather he's a prophet of God. Listen up, ears. Listen up, ears. This is God's man speaking God's word to us. And so that title has that implication uh, as well. So he's asserting his authority for writing this letter. Um, <clears throat> let's go over your questions 8 through 11. How many Jameses are mentioned in the New Testament? Four. Uh, servant, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 9, question 9. James, the brother of Jesus, was one of the very first disciples. False. False. I didn't mention that, but I'm glad you got it. He didn't even believe until after the resurrection. He's one of the ones that went with his mother and his brothers to get Jesus because they thought he'd lost his mind on one occasion. Let's take him home. <laughs> this man needs help. And so he doesn't, he's not even a believer, which the Bible tells us till after the resurrection. Um, now question 10. Servant is from the Greek doulos, which means... In addition to the general term, servant was a specific term used to describe what of Israel? prophets of Israel. Okay. So let's go now to our closing section of this and um, some discussion on this. I've already posed the question, but let me, let me pose it again. 
So in addition to him being a servant prophet, if he's using the term in that, in that way, why would James identify himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ rather than James, the brother of our Lord? Go ahead, Henry. Humility? Definitely. He's being very humble. So he's not trying to get a foot up by that kinship. Okay, what else? Lineage gives you no standing in the new covenant. Say what? Lineage gives you no standing in the new covenant. Okay. So he was acknowledging the, the most important relationship. Okay, you guys are right where I am. So what are some practical lessons that we should glean then based on what your answers were? What are some practical lessons that we ought to glean from this from this uh, this title that James gives himself? It, it was more important to James that Christ be known as his Lord and not his brother. How about you? And for us it's yeah, and I, not just you, but me too. Pastor Thomas. Yes, sir. Uh, it's like I told uh, some of you in there know who I'm talking about. Elder John Shelton Michael, I told him years ago, so his, his father and my father were first cousins. Mm-hmm. And I told him, as much as I esteemed him, the idea that he was my cousin, uh, you know, I just thought so much of that, but more importantly, you know, we're brothers in Christ. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I trust that, that, you know, that that's truly the way I feel. That relationship, maybe not always where I should be on that, but that is very important. So let's let's take that down to the rubber meeting the road, brother Ryan. Go, go, go ahead, you got a thought. Go ahead. Physical relation to a believer is not enough for salvation. No, you, you must be born again to the family of God. Yeah. As yeah. much as of, of a blessing that may be, yeah. Even the half brother of Jesus, who's shares flesh and blood with him. Yeah. That was not enough. Yeah. I mean, and I tried to stop and think about this. Just think about that. I mean, James is his younger brother, grows up in the house with Jesus. Now, you talk about a younger child and and the older son complex and trying to compete with the older older son. My goodness, Jesus is perfect. James wasn't. And just, I mean, he would have seen him his entire, well, yeah, because Jesus is older. He would have seen him his entire life didn't believe that he was the Christ till later, but he lived in the same house. So I would say he knew him intimately in that sense. So let's let's take this thought now, and I want to, I said practical, I want to put some feet on this for a minute, because James is a very, very practical book. It's, it is the Proverbs of the New Testament. So let's think about what this means, what you just said. You just told me what is the most important relationship is spiritual, not filial. <clears throat> do any of you have any family that is lost? Yes. I do. I have children and brothers. And I'm sure other family members. Do I love them? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I know unless by God's mercy and grace they are saved, they will not be with me in eternity. 
And I love my wife as much as more than any person on this earth. But I know in heaven and glory, our relationship will not be husband-wife. It's going to be better. And I can't even imagine that one. Because that's, that's the difficult one. It's like, how can it be better? But it's better. It's higher. It's more noble. Now, how does that impact me on a daily and weekly basis? I was fortunate and blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and I've seen a lot of advances over the years in Christianity I think are good. Um, things that are, you know, thoughts that are a little different now than they were years ago. Um, uh, uh, Ted Tripp's book, Boy, I wish I'd had that book early. Didn't even, it was not in print. Uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's a great book. <clears throat> I, I encourage you to read it if you haven't read it. Um, so that's, you know, that's one of the differences, I think, at least in the context of which I grew up in. But one of the things that I think is lost in this generation that we had in a prior generation was priority. Was priority. Now, it always was a puzzle to me, even as a child growing up, that people would be away from the corporate fellowship for like a family reunion. And I go, well, and I'm even like 10 or 11 years old, I'm thinking this is like, well, won't you have it on Saturday? Our family always did because there were three preachers in my, in my dad's family. So I assure you, we didn't do that on Sunday. We did that on Saturday because Sunday's God's day. It's the Lord's day. And I would say that that's an advantage that we really had then that I think is lost now a lot of times. What's the, what's the most important relationship in fellowship? And am I putting something else or am I supplanting that with something else? I need to ask myself the question, why? Why am I doing that? James had every right to say, I'm the Lord's brother, but no, he says, I'm the servant. I'm the servant of God and of Christ. Um, when I was 16 years old I had a cousin that he and I grew up together peas in a pod we were two days apart in our age he was killed on a Sunday in a car accident and I walked into the house I'd been out and I came in my dad grabbed me and I knew something was up I thought I was in trouble honestly because he grabbed me like, you know, like this and then he told me my cousin had been killed and that was you know he was crusted and brother honestly and then the next thing he said is, well, before we go, it's like five o'clock now, whatever, Sunday afternoon. He said, before we go over to their house, we need we go to church. Now that's stuck with me through the years. Go to church, we ought to go. No, we go to church. And there was no debate about that because that's our spiritual family. That's our spiritual family. And as much as I love my physical family my spiritual family is the one that I will be with forever and I pray that my filial relations they too will be saved in God's goodness and grace but also realize that my relationship with you as a brother and sister in Christ outguns in a very theological and a very practical way my relationship even with my family who are not children of God. 
So that to me is, is that's where you begin to get to the spiritual implications and you start to work out some of what James says in verse number one. Okay, any thoughts or questions? I had a couple of passages down here. Um, let's turn to Mark 3 and let's close with this. I think I've already pretty well said it, but I didn't go to the scripture. I should have. Mark 3. Verse 21. This is what I referenced earlier about his family coming to get Jesus and take him home. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. I'm sure James is in that because he's his brother. I'm sure he went out to get him. But then we drop on down in our reading to verse 31. So remember I told when we started the you know we started our study of James, remember I told you James, excuse me, Mark, Mark uses the sandwich technique a lot. You you remember that? He'll start something, then he'll put some meat over in between it, and then he'll come back to what he was what he was on. The sandwich technique, he uses it over and over and over. We got it right here. He makes that statement about well, the statements made about his family saying he's out of his mind. Then you have this meat about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then you come to verse 35 and it goes back to his mother and brothers. Here's our sandwich. And his mother, verse 31, and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him because they think he's crazy. And they're trying to get him home where he won't be an embarrassment. So they're standing outside and they call him. And a crowd, now this is his mother, Mary. Think about that. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. If I wanted to get into typology, there's a lot there. They're outside. Okay, well, let's go on. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brother? Well, of course, Jesus knew James as his brother. He knows Mary's his mother. And looking about at those who sat around him, Repentant sinners, people of ill repute, some of them, but they're here. They're, they've confessed. They're followers. Looking around at the people that sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Christ obviously is emphasizing the spiritual relationship. And isn't it a wonderful thought to think that you, as a follower and believer, are a brother and sister of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's, that's the preeminent relationship. Practically remember that. Remember that in the corporate meeting. Okay. I'm for anything else. Brother Ron, would you close this with prayer?